Hello, my name is Patricia Rozvora and you're listening to Kitchen Conversations. This podcast aims to open up the mysterious and vague Eastern Bloc to a broader audience. For each episode, I'm inviting one artist or researcher and together we explore the relation, interest and the urgency to create within the framework of the post-Soviet sphere. Here, I also wanted to thank everyone for listening and supporting this podcast. It's very rewarding to see that with every episode, the community is growing, which was, of course, the whole point of this platform. If you are a regular listener, you might want to check out my Patreon page, where you can support my work and help me develop this amazing but time-consuming project. You can do that on patreon.com slash kitchenconversations. For today's episode, I met Pavlo Borshenko, a Ukrainian photographer originally from a provincial city of Sumy in northeast Ukraine and for many years based in Kiev. Due to uncertainties connected to the ongoing war in Ukraine, he decided to continue his life in Warsaw and moved there with his wife. On an everyday basis, Pavlo is working in the field of computer science. But since early age, he also creates astonishing photographs that were since shown in many international exhibitions and magazines. The first camera Pavlo owned was an old Soviet film camera. Despite its fairly poor quality, in comparison to today's digital equipment, Pavlo was great in using the manual focus and different lenses, which quickly assigned him the function of a school trip photographer. His impoverished environment was impressed by his skills and allowed him to shoot on an everyday basis. During his first university year, he was finally able to afford his first digital camera and started exploring street photography. However, the small city of Sumi didn't provide so many opportunities for interesting or inspiring sceneries due to its size and rather dull every day. Therefore, Pavlo always looked forward to two city holidays that made people celebrate outside and thus allowed him to bring his photography to a next level. One of them, it was a city day uh, uh-huh. when a lot of people was on the street and some, some celebrations, some festivals and so on. So it was a time when I can shoot something interesting. And another day, it was uh, the victory day that now have something like uh, bad meaning and bad uh, smelling after Russian aggression. But at that time, it was still popular. The 9th uh, of May, right? Uh, yes. It's even before the uh, Georgia. And uh, at that time, no one uh, understand the, um, how, how bad it can be. I was curious to hear more about Sumi and Pavlo's inspirations uh, with his home. As it turned out, the city had two major historic periods that decided over its development. The first one was connected to sugar production during the times of the Russian Empire and still before the revolution. Short uh, history introduction. The city has uh, had two major periods. And first of all, it's uh, sugar time. Uh, when uh, in Russian Empire started to produce a lot of sugar and Sumer region was one of them where a lot of sugar was produced and in Sumer there uh, was the biggest uh, sugar plant. 
That period brought to the city economic and social prosperity. Hospitals and orphanages were built, and even a military academy. All this translated into a big population growth, from 10,000 to almost 20 and even 30,000 people. For the next 50 years, due to the outbreak of the Second World War, the city was left as it was. Only after the end of the Second World War, under the Soviet regime, a big nitrogen chemical plant was built there and for a while made this region an industrial one again. After the fall of the Soviet Union, as many other small Ukrainian cities and other Eastern European ones, Sami was left alone, depriving most of the population of chances for a better, more prosperous life. What is the situation now in the city in relation to the, to the war? The same as in, in, in Ukraine, uh, in other cities. So basically, the city was in something like occupation, but uh, enemy is not maybe something like uh, put their forces inside the city. So it's some, it was uh, on a, a circle road uh, near the city. It was in nearest uh, village. But uh, mm-hmm. they somehow decided not to go inside. I think they have just uh, task to go to the Kiev and they just go through the uh, the city and that's uh, for now. I don't know what. But my parents still live here, uh, and uh, they don't want to move any other. So after the war started, my mother evacuated with my sister to the. Europe, but uh, my father declined that possibility because they don't want to. So basically, he during his life um, not to travel much, and that's why it's a lot of stress. After a while, his mom and sister returned to Ukraine, whereas he and his wife decided to move to Warsaw as the life in Ukraine became too unpredictable. Due to problems with energy and constant cutouts, it is hard to perform any type of everyday tasks. With the approaching winter temperatures, people are generally worried about how will they heat their homes. In some smaller places, like Somi for example, the government decided to save energy by switching off street lights, which makes it gloomy and depressing, especially when the sun sets already at 4 p.m. But coming back to his journey towards art, at some point, in search of new opportunities, Pavlo moved to Kiev. In a big city, one thing you might need is a car. Pavlo was convinced that buying a better camera would allow him to do better pictures and earn some money for a new car. The task of becoming a good photographer proved to be slightly more difficult, which eventually brought him to enroll into a photography school. When I bought a new camera, it doesn't happen. I decided to go to the photo school. And it's the first decision how my practice, how it looks like now. So basically I visited Viktor Marushenko photo school, which is one of the best in the city, but he now died and it's a big uh, drama for Ukrainian photography because we don't have for now, uh, even without, before the war, uh, good education in photography at all. He maybe changed my focus from technical perspective, from cameras to the image itself. And so the big uh, shifting and um, f- from, from this shifting, from make uh, my home task and this course, uh, I uh, um, maybe put uh, 
put my uh, something like photography career and something like that. So what all what uh, I have before it's just a hobby or something like not a hobby, but it's not so uh, interesting to, to talk about. We continue our conversation by speaking about his connection to art. I know that Pavlo is a software engineer and has a, so to speak, proper day job along his artistic practice. I'm curious to hear more about it. How does he combine mathematics, physics and art? In childhood, I visited a lot of uh, something like sections. What what we have from Soviet times, something like uh, this pioneers' houses where all this... Uh, Uh, courses exist. We call it like in uh, Poland, uh, Dom Kultury. In our city, uh, we have uh, three different directions in this. Dom, Dom Kultury is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here are something like artistics or something dancers, singers, and so on. So it's not my part. Other part, it was something like house of uh, young technic people. For Pavlo, the most interesting was wood carving and courses in radio technology, where young people were able to put together a radio, which naturally also combined physics and mathematics. Other courses he enjoyed was making stuff out of clay. His sister, on the other hand, took part in more physical activities, connected to dance and acrobatics. Those early day courses really stuck with Pavlo, and the craftsmanship and the love for it acquired back then can be definitely seen in his current photographic series. What's continued to, to, to be exist now that I like to create all this stuff, and basically this uh, work by hands, to create masks or something like to develop some uh, objects. It's uh, what uh, I started from the childhood. It was interesting for me. So basically, <laughs> maybe it's more interesting than the photography itself. So photography is something like finalizing uh, this process to make something like a product productionizer for, <laughs> for the stuff that it's just for fun. Yeah, indeed, like the end product is photography, but like you create this whole kind of installation setups with a lot of elements and uh, a lot of props and different clothing, which all is very specific. So I understand that you create all those elements by yourself. Do you build like these little planes and cars which appear then in your photographs? Yeah, and I also very like the something like constructor, it's Soviet constructor from aluminium where you can put it's something like pro, pro per uh, Lego stuff, <laughs> but <laughs> it's more connected to the real life because you also use the same bolts. And uh, this creation from different parts and maybe creation from uh, objects that not uh, um, eligible for, for creation from the beginning. Uh, the result of uh, the 19s where we don't have uh, don't have the ability to have a good uh, new or something like up up to date up to time. Indeed, yeah, a lot of had to be self-made because Uh, there was yeah. just not good materials around, so people had to get creative. And yeah, now when you say uh, say it like this, I definitely see that in your work. It has this like self-made, handmade, creative solutions. If you look at Pavlo's photographs, you can indeed see how many props and objects he uses there. Fur hats, trench coats, tablecloths, curtains, carpets, helmets, instruments, toys, all taken from another time. 
all stained with the Soviet trauma. Firstly, it was uh, the house uh, of my grandparents, uh, the same village. Uh, it's also because <coughs> of their trauma of Golodomor and Soviet deficit, they uh, collected a lot of uh, uh, stuff that will be something prepared for, for future, for example. Uh, that's why uh, all these clothes basically from this house. Uh, but after that, uh, my wife uh, showed me a little summer house, but it's now in Kiev. And his uh, grandfather uh, also collected a lot of uh, stuff. Uh, and uh, he uh, <laughs> also has this problem, for example, and he uh, collect even something like uh, a garbage <laughs> uh, and uh, put it to home and something like uh, built from this uh, like uh, broken windows created some uh, garden house for something like uh, tomatoes and so on uh, and that's okay. why this uh, dacha also was filled up with a lot of stuff but it's uh, a little bit different time frame. So my grandparents, uh, they, uh, I think, 10 or even 15 years older than she's. And that's why uh, they have a staff uh, uh, that belongs to um, 60s. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Margot's grandparents have a staff that belongs to 70s. The first few portraits Pavlo took that later turned into a specific photography style and setup portraying the, as he calls, Sovietness, started by photographing his sister. It was Easter, two years after the passing of his mother. Him and his family visited the countryside house where his grandparents used to live and found boxes with handmade clothes belonging to his grandmother. Fascinated by the flowery textiles, Pavlo asked his sister to wear those clothes and photographed her. Firstly, it was something like a, a simulation of uh, uh, that time. Uh, and uh, now I understand it that uh, uh, I filmed not a simulation, but something like uh, a powerful of woman in context of Ukrainian beings. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> so basically, uh, from my also experience, so all this life in village uh, was organized my, by my grandmother, <laughs> and uh, uh, that's why this something like um, family history. It was before this project of Sumi. So Sumi project, it's already some others shifting uh, for uh, switching from uh, something like simulation of the time to just uh, uh, images that not belong to the time, out of place, so it's not connected uh, to the place itself and to the village. It sounds like connected to the territory uh, and the region, but not to a concrete village or a concrete house. Later on, he started photographing himself as well as using his close friends as models. Most of his photographs consist of very simple compositions with a specific background and objects on or around the model. What's important is the mood and system the picture represents. I was curious to hear why on a lot of Pavlov's photos the models have covered faces. It's not about the person, it's obvious uh, because I just use the image as a something like image itself. 
uh, about not it's not a history of not about some description of uh, the persons so that's why most of these photos it's three people and uh, out of three people it's uh, one of them is myself you're on the cover of uh, Kayat Journal, one of your works from the series uh, Sumi, Sorrow of My Days. And uh, I thought that uh, we could uh, briefly speak about or analyze the, the photo which is now on the cover uh, of the magazine. Uh, it's called Air Force. Why did you decide to use those specific elements? So on this, uh, this photo we see a female figure in a um, pink plane. The prototype of uh, this plane was a horror uh, that originated in Russia and now attacking Ukraine. So basically, I look at the picture from this uh, victory parade of decorated children's carriages to tanks, uh, some planes and so on, and I decided to put it to something like artist context because uh, for me it was a very powerful part of uh, cargo cult. Basically, I asked my father to help and he creates this plane. Basically, the color, uh, I think, uh, it's also not created intentionally because, as I remember, this uh, color just left uh, from painting our walls uh, in uh, <laughs> Wall's house, and it, there is there some amount of this color exists, and my father just used it. <laughs> I decided that it's okay; it's a good color, and. The cover photo originates from the second shooting session with the cardboard plane. In Pavlo's series, Air Force, we can also see other compositions with the plink plane, where he himself wears the plane and walks around in circles to simulate a military training. For the cover of Kayet Journal, he again chooses to work with his sister, metaphorically speaking about Ukrainian women and the model of a matriarchal society. For example, in my cases, my grandfather here has some drama at the end of his life and when I uh, was born he basically was not so not so powerful to make any decision and just live uh, without any uh, ability to vote to any decision and so just my grandmother uh, decided everything and that's how I uh, understand the rules how the this house lives and my Sister is something like a connection between two generations. So basically, uh, my sister uh, in this, all the clothes and this, uh, all the stuff, there's something like add a vitality to empty place. And also she is very good model because uh, didn't ask any questions. Why it? And uh, uh, they just uh, waiting for, for the advice uh, what she, she should do and didn't change anything in the beginning. So I have a time to think, to something like change the lenses, to take a, to take a look from different perspectives. And so she's a very great model. The use of so many Soviet symbols and literal objects of that time might be understood as nostalgic. I was curious to hear what role does nostalgia play in Pavlo's work. He told me that the nostalgia might relate to his childhood times that were, of course, stained by the Soviet history. 
The objects he uses, be it inherited, bought or found, are the only physical elements that connect his generation to the generation of his grandparents, who simply do not follow the quickly changing world and are in some way stuck in the past. So, for example, when we uh, cancel a Soviet, we don't have background for 17 years and it's empty space. So how we should... We don't have, uh, for example, a lot of families don't have uh, uh, pre-Soviet tradition and they, they uh, died with... Uh, so Soviet destroyed some older tradition and now we've destroyed Soviet, but, uh, so we don't have something like the connections between generations. Pavlo shares with me anecdotes from the life of his grandparents. Already before the Second World War, they used to make their own clothes, towels and so on. Till this day, Pavlo's family is using those textiles since they are still in good condition. From his childhood, he remembers watching a black and white TV in his grandparents' house. They got so used to living under specific conditions that even despite possibilities of living differently, it was hard for them to adjust and change their habits. They uh, have uh, the black and white TV and all the, their life they use black and white TV. And for my, in my childhood it was a black and white TV. And after that, for example, uh, it was something like a uh, short period where it was colored and after that it started a uh, flat and big uh, dimension. So it dramatically uh, changed. A lot of such ex- experience. So this, um, it's connected to the Soviet uh, symbols, it's other part. It's something like uh, social political uh, dimensions. Some of Pavlo's photos include direct symbols of the Soviet propaganda machine the hammer and the sickle emblem, a red star, or a bust of Lenin. Pavel laughs that it's not like those objects are laying around his grandparents' home. But with those, he wants to visually explore the past that for some was not only representing an oppressive totalitarian system, but stood for the rights to free education, a social house, and a proper pension. Uh, Our family was not so political. They think in terms of Soviet propaganda, in terms of uh, why it's bad. Anyone can have education, anyone can have work, and uh, anyone can have pension. In the village, uh, there are some one red flag, uh, and we don't have uh, uh, Lenin objects uh, in our houses. I wanted to come back to Pavlo's motivations to create. Did he only create those images to find a link to older generations in Ukraine and those living in his region, Sami? I was still wondering how does he combine his day job as a data analyst with creating such particular and thoroughly researched images of the past regime. I think the, the main motivation is my interest. <laughs> so basically it's something like opposite that what I do in, in my regular work. So basically I don't have this layer in work and I maybe have it in my second work as a photographer, uh, the art creation. So basically, um, it's something like uh, my need to press yourself. And so I don't have any any political ambitions, for example, to change society. I just show my view. This view, for example, can be specific because I have a specific background. And uh, it can be a view of my generation, for example, because it's something like a generation in the middle uh, between two systems uh, because uh, I don't uh, 
maybe live in Soviet, but I have a Soviet childhood because of a poor uh, situation in the 19th, and I don't have something like an other... I don't have a such influence of... Uh, capitalism in, in my childhood, basically. I uh, just wanted to come back to, to the term Soviet and post-Soviet, because uh, I think in this kind of post-colonial uh, discourse, this term is like um, wanted to be, or people want to reject it or not use it anymore, uh, because it kind of connects to that, this kind of traumatic past. But it's interesting that you say that if we don't use it, we kind of lose this whole uh, history and this whole connection to all the generations which lived through this time. I think uh, we should not use it in terms of when we speaking about uh, now, but we definitely need to use it in terms of when we speaking about the past. We need to uh, think that it's not a modern term, it's something like a historical term. And we, when we um, think about it as a historical term, it's something like we make a mark that it's not a now, it was a past. I don't like the uh, cancel culture at all because it just uh, as a totality, something like a system, like Soviet was, and we just cancel the some term but just uh, acts as uh, Soviet uh, acts that uh, cancel for example uh, other censorship culture. right yeah 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 or just uh, decided that uh, uh, this um, masterpiece is Russian that it's not uh, U- Ukrainian or something like that and in terms of uh, uh, current war Soviet time is just something like a form of uh, a Russian empire that translated from uh, monarchy time to something like Soviet time and now we have other form of the same stuff. So my opinion that we need to maybe dive into details when we talk about it. And also this empire ambition from Russia and so on, they uh, was exist before the Soviet and still exist after the Soviet. So the Soviet is not uh, the reason uh, for, for for this colonial uh, myth and colonial stuff, so it's one part of it, one one form of it, uh, but not the the maybe uh, the reason of all our um, problems. In his work, Pavlo speaks about the Sovietness in people, something similar to the theoretical Homo Sovieticus, a pejorative term for an average conformist person in the Soviet Union and other countries of the Eastern Bloc, a type of person that was created by the Soviet regime. Back then, people didn't have the chance to choose, thus developed a lack of responsibility for their actions. Pavlo claims that these people still exist in Ukraine and there was not enough work being done to process those traumas and work with them as a nation. One thing that I think still exists and, uh, from Soviet time and something like a Sovietness people. It's something like this main set of Sovietness people that uh, some others uh, uh, is uh, response for uh, for, for, for the issues, uh, government uh, is uh, maybe responsible for for life of uh, their uh, people, and so basically, this put putting responsibility to some others is one of uh, the um, behaviors that uh, developed hardly in Soviet time, when uh, in totally system 
all people don't have the ability to choose and to uh, put their responsibility for their choice. Uh, and that's why this behavior still exists in Ukrainian society. And, uh, and the most maybe dangerous things that uh, we didn't, for example, uh, put our influence to uh, work with these behaviors. We just cancel their name Soviet and put that it's wrong, but we don't work with consequences. It's, the, I think, the biggest issue that we need to solve uh, in Ukrainian society as well, not to, to, to uh, fight against uh, history, but fight against the consequences of this history and to understand uh, why, why it happens and what we can do. The thing I'm taking out of it is like the, the shortcuts of uh, understanding history and that we shouldn't be so easy about it, you know, and to, yeah, to kind of go deeper into specific... History is, is very difficult things because uh, each, each government or each something like... Uh, um, period of history wants to have their own history for the last uh, last other periods and that's why we don't have any something like um, real history in, 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 in a time. It's not uh, only about uh, Russian propaganda, it's uh, also something like it's difficult because we can't decouple uh, history from, from propaganda itself and uh, f from the uh, uh, couple history from current uh, goals, current uh, nationals or government goals and history just is something like an instrument for achieving these goals and that's why it's difficult to understand history as a one of the truths. Um, for me interesting not so history but this uh, as I already mentioned, that society part. So it's something like society, history, politics, and so what's all about how the society lives and works. Lastly, like with every guest of Kitchen Conversations, I asked Pavlo about his favorite home food. Basically, uh, I don't good at cooking, so I just uh, <laughs> like good foods, but I don't like cooking. Uh, from uh, food, that's uh, so easy because um, my second name, uh, something like, have a <laughs> good uh, <laughs> mint for, for what I like. So I like borscht. All right. And I think the borscht got like added to the Ukrainian national heritage, right? I think recently. So that's... Uh, uh, yes. I also like uh, uh, vareniki. Vareniki. But, uh, I uh, like uh, uh, that one that uh, steamed dump dumplings. He said, however, that for him the Ukrainian food is too cooked and missed something fresh in it. He again recalled some traditional living of his grandparents who, due to energy savings, often switched off the fridge and kept the food outside, especially in winters. In summer, when buttering the pig, they used to marinate it in salt so it stays good for a longer time. I remember my grandparents, uh, they live without fridge, for example, and uh, they uh, 
salt the meat and something like have this salted meat that uh, uh, put it uh, to salt, for example, in the winter when the pig was cut it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they use it this meat uh, in summer just put it on the, to the water to put out this uh, additional salt from it and it's name it something like solonina thank you so much pavlo for sharing yeah i, I wish you a good start in your uh, new city and i'm curious where your work will develop i think you are also Uh, showed your work now quite uh, quite a lot, which is nice because I think people kind of um, yeah they they have an idea what kind of images you you created. So the the podcast will be a nice background uh, to the visuals they already saw somewhere in places. Thank you. This was it for today. Thank you for reaching till the end of this episode. And as announced in my previous episode with Natalia, I also just released the Kitchen Conversations cookbook. It is an artist cookbook with recipes of 17 artists who were the first to appear on my podcast. As you know, I collect all these recipes and the first ones made it into a publication published by Contemporary Links. Please uh, check out the links in the show notes uh, that will lead you uh, to the book. And if you want to support me, you can buy it. You can also support uh, my Patreon account, as mentioned at the beginning, where for a certain stage of supporting, you will also receive a book. In general, if you enjoyed my episode, my conversation with Pavlo and the podcast itself, uh, I would love if you share it with anyone who might be interested in those topics in Eastern European art, because at the end of the day, it's all about growing our community. Thanks. Until next time.